want to start this morning with a little analogy of a campfire. Now, how many here are Boy Scouts? How many here, if you're not a Boy Scout, have sat around the campfire? How many of us here have built a campfire? Yeah, all right. So you know what I'm talking about. The point of a campfire, the the point of building, there's a process in building a fire. And the first thing we do when we build a campfire is we gather kindling. Kindling is dry wood split up into small slivers or small pieces, right, that the purpose of a a piece of kindling is that it burns quickly and it burns fast. And we, if we have paper, we'll get some old newspapers or whatever. That's not worth reading anyways. But we get some old newspapers. We, we crunch them all up, put them in a ball, and then we put kindling around it, and uh, we light the newspaper, and we have a roaring fire very quickly. But the most important thing, or the next important thing we must do if we're going to have a campfire is we need to have bigger logs. And the bigger logs have to go on. Once the fire is burning, we have to put the bigger logs on the kindling, otherwise the kindling will burn out and the fire won't last, right? So we put the bigger logs on, and if you put the biggest logs on too quick, you can also snuff the fire out. You gotta, there's a, there's a time when it's right to put the big logs on, and then those logs get burning. And then as you see this picture here, um, what happens a lot of the times as the logs burn, they fall. And sometimes they fall in the fire And sometimes they fall out of the fire. Like this little log right here. This little log right here. That little log is burned out of the fire. He might, at one time, he might have been leaned up in the fire. But now he's laying on the ground. And the problem with that little log right there, even if he was on fire initially, when he falls out of the fire, what happens to that log? It goes out. That log is no longer useful in the fire. And so what do we do then? If we're tending the fire, what do we do? We pick up the log and we put it back in the fire. Because when the logs are together, whoops, when, oh, when the logs are together, they burn. All right, now what does this have to do with church? <laughs> this has to do with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a consuming fire. And we've talked about, we sang about it today, how timely that was. I didn't even tell Jackie that I was going to do this. But the Holy Spirit is a consuming fire. And if we're going to have the Holy Spirit, first of all, when you're born again and saved, the Holy Spirit is kindling that comes into your life and he begins to burn bright and hot in your life as a newborn saved person, right? But now what we have to do, if you're prepared, if you're a prepared woodsman, you're going to have logs sitting on the side of that kindling ready to put on that fire to continue to feed the fire. Well, we do that spiritually with coming together. We do that spiritually by reading your Bible. We do this spiritually by learning how to pray. We do this spiritually by discipling one another. See, it's one thing to go out and save people, But it's a more important thing to go out and disciple people because when you disciple people, you're training them, you're teaching them, you're putting bigger logs on their fire that keeps their fire from going out. Does that make sense? And that's what we do. And that's what church is about. That's what being a pastor is about. That is what 
being a friend is about. As a friend, the Bible says that men sharpen men as iron sharpens iron. And physically what that means is you're tending each other's fires. As you see that person starting to burn out a little bit, encourage him. Put a log on his fire for him. Maybe he doesn't even have a log. Maybe you've got to bring your log and put it on his fire. <laughs> but, we're, but we're responsible for each other, right? And we're responsible for our own fire. So that little analogy, I hope, will kind of set the stage for where we're going to right now because we're going to be talking about 2 Peter again. And in 2 Peter, we're in, we're in chapter 2. We're at the end of chapter 2 now. You can open your Bible if you'd like to, to chapter 2. But what we're getting into now is, the, is what happens when we don't tend the fire. You see, teaching God's word means that we teach all of God's word. <laughs> it means we just don't pick and choose the verses we like. And, and, and especially when you're going through a chapter of a Bible, as we are, we're going through a book of a Bible, I, I can't skip verses. Now, I, I will say I didn't preach through all of chapter 2, as I said last week, because I've asked you to read it. And I continue to go back and ask you to read chapter 2 because most of chapter 2 is talking about God's anger and how God punishes false teachers and false prophets. And I don't want to burden you with that. I think it's important that we realize that God is all about judgment. He's all about protecting his word. He's all about making sure that whoever speaks in error of him will be judged in the end. But we don't have to go through every sentence of every scripture to understand that. But what I do want to do, though, is I, I, want to, I think it's important that we look at today in Second Peter when we have the th real possibility and the threat of spiritual apostasy. And I know that this is one of the harder passages that we can speak about one of the harder messages that we can speak about because we don't like to think about that. We don't like to think that people can fall away from relationship with Jesus. Last week's message, I believe, was one of the best in content <laughs> that I've ever preached. <laughs> I can't say that I'm really the best I've ever preached because uh, I, I can say I've even preached good. I'm not saying that. But the content of last week's message was all about freedom of submission. And the way we're free is through submission, not in fighting for our freedoms. Because when I fight for something and I win the prize, I can lose that prize just as easily when somebody bigger comes along that takes the prize away from me because I'm the one that won it, right? Excuse me, the freedom that I'm speaking of is spiritual freedom that no one can take away from you. And that comes the only through submitting ourselves to Christ. But today we need to talk about the possibility and the reality of what happens when we don't submit ourselves to Christ. When I'm partially submitted to Christ, or when it's convenient, I'll be submitted to Christ. But when it's not convenient, then I want to do my own thing. And when we start doing that, we're running down, we're running the, the, the we're getting to the real threat, the real possibility that I can 
stand away from God. When I was younger, we used to use the word backsliding. Anybody that's old enough to know the church, how many of you have heard the term backsliding? When was the last time you heard it said? A long time ago. It's not a popular term anymore. We used to say backsliding a lot. I can remember Pastor Shorsh. I can remember um, when I was a young boy in my teenage years, it was something that we talked about a lot. And, and as a result, I got saved a lot. <laughs> because I must have been a really bad backslider. Because, man, on Sunday nights, we'd have Sunday night services, and those were the times we'd come together, and we would really be more of, a, of an evangelistic and maybe more of a, of a let's get re- real with Jesus night time. And Sunday mornings was more of a just let's kind of keep it cool. But Sunday nights were the times we'd have altar calls and things. And man, I tell you what, as a kid, I don't know about you, maybe it was a season of my life, but somebody, somebody else raise your hand with me and tell me that I wasn't the only one that got saved every Sunday night. <laughs> anybody else say, anybody else get that? Or is it just me? Man, I tell you what, backsliding was a big term. It was a big deal. But we don't talk about that anymore. Why? Why? Could it be that people just don't want to be reminded that they have a responsibility to maintain their campfire? That they have a responsibility to maintain the fire of the Holy Spirit in their life and they don't want to be reminded of their responsibility so we, when we, so we just don't talk about it? Last week in that promise or in, that, in, that, in the, the sermon about Freedom and submission, we also learned that there were many promises being made by false teachers. And these false teachers were promising freedom. But they themselves were in bondage to sin and to, 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 to depravity, is what the scripture said. Remember that? Do you remember talking about that? Now here's the thing. What, we cannot give away what we don't have. And if they don't have freedom, if the false prophet and the false teacher was, was bound in sin and slavery to depravity, they could not offer freedom from it because they themselves are bound in it. You cannot give people what you do not have. I, could, I would want to give you lots of things, but if I don't have it, I can't give it. Peter then goes on to speak about the sad fact that many of these false teachers and these false prophets that they once had a relationship with God, but yet they willingly gave it up for whatever reason. It doesn't say why, but they had at one point in time, at one point in time, they were a log burning in the fire. But at some point in time, they fell off the fire and they burned out. Let's go on to our text this morning and see what God has to say. Our text is Second Peter chapter 2. Verses 20 through 22. Um, Fred, thank you. If you'd hand those out, that'd be great. We uh, have a lot of passages, and so we hand these out so that you can take them and you can put notes on them if you'd like to. I want you to know that I use Scripture, and the Scriptures are identified here so that you can use them. You can go back and study it and test me in this. I want you to make sure that I'm teaching you truth. Listen, there is so much untruth out there, I can't stand it. So we need truth. And if we can't speak truth in church, then what, something's wrong with us. So I want you, please, verify what I'm saying is true. 
follow along, get your Bible, turn to the scriptures, or go home afterwards and study it. Be like the Bereans. Study the gospel. Study the word to make yourself approved. Don't just think I'm going to give you all the, all the meat. Okay, so that's, that's good. All right, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22. You can read along with me. And when people escape... And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than they were before. It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They prove the truth of this proverb. A dog returns to its vomit and a washed pig returns to the mud. Let's pray. Father, help us here to discern what this means wisely and accurately with truth. Help us to understand what you're saying to us today. I pray that you would open up our eyes and on our ears that we would spiritually be able to hear and discern what you would have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this section of Scripture, Peter is talking directly to the point that many of those that were speaking the false truths in the church at that time were one time truth speakers. At one time, they were following the teachings of Christ. But for whatever reason, they turned their back on God and they've gone their own way. So again, this wasn't a popular teaching then either. <laughs> I mean, this is not the teaching that's going to bring your church, a lot of people to your church, probably. But it's the truth, and we need to speak it. I think the enemy is very effective in, in trying to make it too hard for us to live a Christian life. So he brings us all kinds of lies. He wants to make us think that living a Christian life is a life of perfection, and you can't be perfect, so why are you even trying? And I'm, telling, I'm here to say today that living a Christian life is not a life of perfection. It's a life of repentance. And it's a life of forgiveness. And when we make mistakes, what do we do? We don't justify our mistakes, and we don't justify our life of living the way we were. No, we repent of it, and we ask for God's forgiveness of it, and we then move on to the next day as a believer in Christ again. And we just continue to Tend our fire. We continue to put good wood on the fire. Here's something else. When you put things on a fire, you put things on a fire that burn. You don't put a piece of metal on a fire and expect the fire to continue to burn. You don't, you don't put a broken piece of glass on the fire and expect it to burn. What do you do? You put wood. You put a consumable you know something that's going to burn, so you put that on your life. And it's the same thing biblically. When I start putting compromise on my spiritual fire and think that my spiritual fire is going to continue to burn, guess what? If I put water on that spiritual fire, what's it going to do? I can't put water on the fire then expect it to burn. I can't put worldly things on my spiritual fire and expect my fire to continue to burn. So I put God's word on the fire, and I continue to tend my life. That's what we're doing. That's what I'm talking about today. But we must understand that the facts of God's word are that there is a basic nature of mankind that is not in proper order with God. 
We have to look at our default situation before we can look at our end result situation. Our default condition is not in relationship with God. When you were born, you might have been cute, but you weren't a saint. I have two little twin babies, granddaughters. They were here last week, and I got nothing done last week. For three days, I did nothing but play with my granddaughters, and it was so much fun. But at the same time, I was glad to give them to my daughter at certain times. (laughs) I mean, I enjoyed them, but at the same time, children... Who was I talking to? I was talking to someone this week. I can't remember who it was. And they said that they had a grandson, or a, maybe it was a son, that somebody taught him the word no. He was like two years old, and he said, I don't know who taught him the word no. And I said, you didn't have to teach him that. <laughs> they just know that. Babies just know. Kids just know how to be bad. Nobody has to teach them that, right? They just know it. Well, that's because that's our default situation. That's our default condition. Until we have a a born-again relationship with Jesus, our nature is evil. No matter how good we think we are, no matter how many good things we do in life, unless we have a a conversion experience with Jesus Christ, we're not in proper relationship with God. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. And desperately wicked desperately wicked who really knows how bad it is is what the jeremiah the prophet said but as a believer listen as a believer that's your past that's your past your past can be redeemed through repentance and forgiveness and you don't have to be that way all of your life But that is our default situation. So once a person is set free from their sinful bondage by having a relationship with Jesus, they have to maintain it. Because I will tell you that the nature's tendency always reverts back to one's original condition if it's left unchecked. And I'll tell you this scientifically. Newton had a law of cooling. And the law of cooling says this, that the rate of heat loss of a body is directly proportional to the difference in the temperature between the body and its surroundings. All right, so this is one of Newton's basic laws of science, that everything left will, anything heated up, will go back without, any, without an additional heating source, it will go back to its original temperature. You want to test it out? Take a hot cup of coffee put one in the refrigerator and put one on your countertop and see which, which one cools faster. It's, it's the temperature that it's around. Same thing with our spiritual life. If you are a born-again Christian and then you go live in an ugly, devoid, evil world, and if you aren't protecting yourself, nature says that you will revert around to the temperature of those around you. If left unchecked, that you will eventually cool off to be at the same temperature as the environment around you. That's the basic laws of nature. So I'm saying this so that we understand the dynamic of what happens. Now listen, let me just put this, let me just say this right now. I'm not saying because the Bible says it can happen that it must happen. It doesn't have to happen to you. And I'm praying that it doesn't happen to you. 
or to me. But I'm stating the facts that we have to know what the Bible says so that we know what to, look, what to watch out for. The Bible is full of promises, encouragements, and warnings. Today, we're talking about in a warning, in a way of encouragement. <laughs> and God's promise is that we don't have to cool off if we choose not to. But we still must talk about it. Does that make sense? Is everybody, are you with me okay? Have I lost anybody? Is anybody ready to walk out yet? <laughs> okay. So according to Jeremiah, the original life of a believer is one totally consumed in sin and in depravity. And it takes the saving grace of God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ to change us and to be the heating source that heats us up. But if we take the influence of the Holy Spirit away, according to Newton's law and according to the law of sin, if we take the heating source away and we don't maintain it, we don't put it, we don't, we don't fill that gap, we will eventually, naturally, cool off. And the Bible talks a lot about being too cool, right? I mean, we, we need to be hot. Hot, hot, hot is what he's looking for. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23 describes this for us. It says, This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Did you hear that? You were his enemy, a good person, moral person, an upright person. But until you have a relationship with Jesus, you're God's enemy. That's what the Bible's saying, okay? Yet now, because of Christ, he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Jesus Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. And here's the verse I want to emphasize. Look at verse 23. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it, don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. Don't drift away. So if he's saying don't drift away, there must be a possibility that you can drift away. Don't drift away. Okay, let's go back to our text, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. It says, for the result of those for that, for that do drift away, here's the result. It says, it would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. As I said at the beginning of this message, teaching through books of the Bible require us to teach the whole counsel of God's word. This is not a fun word, but it's a necessary word. And again, I'm not saying that this is happening to you. I'm just saying we need to be aware of it. So here's another question. Does the Bible support this anywhere else in Scripture? It's important that we let Bible interpret Bible, right? Okay, so turn in your Bibles to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3. And the writer gives here some firm direction on how we're to live and how we're to accept the Holy Spirit in our lives so that we can protect ourselves from the very real threat of cooling off and possibly standing away from God or apostasy. Hebrews chapter 3. There's a lot of verses here. You might want to turn in your Bible to it. Hebrews chapter 3, beginning at verse 7. 
That is why the Holy Spirit says, Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. There your ancestors tested and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them, and I said, Their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath. They will never enter my place of rest. Okay, the writer of Hebrews is giving a little history lesson here. He's trying to say, guys, this is what happens when you don't obey God. Okay, let's continue reading, starting at verse 12. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day. Hear this? You must warn each other every day while it is still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful in the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. All right, so now he, that's the writer's um, instruction to warn each other, to tend each other's fire, <laughs> to be looking for the weaknesses, the, the weak areas in our lives, in your lives and others' lives, to continue to warn them that don't cool off, don't drift away. And this was such an important point that the writer, take, he reminds them again. So let's continue. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15. He says, remember what it says. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled. And who was it who rebelled against God, even though they heard his voice? Wasn't it the people Moses led out of Egypt? In other words, what he's saying here, the people that rebelled were the same people that God saved. That's you and I. Listen, listen. And who made God angry for 40 years? Wasn't it the people who sinned, whose corpses lay in the wilderness? And to whom was God speaking when he took an oath that would never enter his rest? Wasn't it the people who disobeyed him? So we see that because of their unbelief, they were not able to enter his rest. <laughs> okay, so what is this saying to us today? Let me summarize this so that we can take the actions necessary so that we never do what it says is possible to do. That's why I'm saying this. This is saying that it is possible for Christians, people that who once had a relationship with Christ, to fall away and lose that relationship. It's possible. That's called apostasy. The Greek term apostasia appears twice in the New Testament as a noun, and it appears here in Hebrews chapter 3 as a verb, aphistomy. Apostasia means this as a noun. It means one has left or departed from a previous standing. The noun says you've left, you're, you've departed, you no longer are in the standing you were once in. Aphistomy as the verb is the process of standing away, or it is the leading away, or that is the departing from God relating to spiritual rebellion, abandonment, withdrawal, or turning from what was previously believed and experienced in a relationship with Christ. 
to apostatize means that you're breaking off from a relationship that you once had. You're withdrawing from Christ. It takes a very concerted effort to do that. I want you to know that. This isn't just a sin. This is an intentional effort on your part. So I don't want to mislead you. I don't want to say that you're, we're all apostasies and that we've all fallen away. No. Remember what I said before about repentance and forgiveness? That's how we maintain the fire, by tending our fire. Individual apostasy is possible for, for those that have once experienced Christ but have intentionally decided to walk away. But, they, but at one time, they were. See, some will say, well, that if a person has fallen away, they never were saved to begin with. That's how they'll justify it. Oh, no, they were never really truly saved. Well, according to Jesus and the, and the discussion with Nicodemus, Jesus told Nicodemus, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So these people have been born again. A person can't fall from grace until they have been covered by grace. You can't fall from a high hill if you're not on a high hill. You have to be at that level to be able to, to be, before you can fall from that level. So stay with me, because I know this is a hard one. I know people don't like to think about this, but the Bible says it, so we have to listen to it. See, the Christian's faith is a relationship. It's not just a knowledge of Christ. It's a relationship with Christ. And relationships are living things. If I have a relationship with you, we maintain it because we are living together. We are socializing together. We are experiencing life together. It's a living relationship. So how do we maintain a living relationship? Well, we do so by, by staying connected. John chapter 15, verses 4 through 6. John says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, Jesus says, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. How do we maintain a relationship? By staying connected to the relationship. It's the same thing here in our spiritual life. A vine severed or broken from the branch will look good for the moment. You don't, you know, when well you've seen leaves that fall off trees or branches that fall, if you've cut branches, they look, they look like they're living, right? But give them a few hours. Give them a day and go back and see how the leaves are withered up because they're not getting the source from the vine anymore. Same thing spiritually. But we must stay connected and remain connected into the relationship with God through the power of the Holy Spirit so that our spiritual life won't wither away like the branch disconnected from the vine. And the Bible is full of urgent warnings like this. Very sobering warnings that God gives us through the Bible. And I want to talk about one here, the one that Jesus speaks about in Matthew chapter 24 because it speaks about where we are at today. Jesus is speaking about the end times. He's speaking about what's it, what's it going to be like. The, the disciples asked him, what's it going to be like when the end comes? And this is, how, this is part of the Jesus' description. 
Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 through 12. Turn in your Bible, if you would. Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. See, it's only getting better. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time, here it is, and at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. You can't turn away from something that you haven't already been in. You've already had faith, but it says, but many, in fact, some translations say most, but many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus is giving a warning and a promise. The promise is you maintain your relationship with me and you will be saved. The warning is you fall away from me and you're going to be burned up like the branch, the withered branch. So practically speaking, if we know that our spiritual life can be at risk, what are the things we need to do to protect it? All right. I've given all this warning to, to, for all of us to, today to recognize that we are potentially at risk if we, don't protect, if we don't proactively protect our life. So how do we do that? There's five stages, five steps that lead to individual apostasy that we watch, must watch out for. Let's run through these pretty quickly. Five steps leading to spiritual apostasy. Number one, believers become spiritually unconcerned, resistant, or outright rebellious. Apostasy doesn't happen overnight. Step two, the realities and the desires of the world become a higher priority than the realities and desires of God's kingdom and his purposes. Step three, people become increasingly more tolerant of sin in their life. Step four, they harden their hearts to God's conviction. Step five, finally, they grieve the Holy Spirit and he departs, leaving them to their own evil desires. Let's talk about these in a little more detail. Number one, believers become spiritually unconcerned, resistant, or outright rebellious. These people show that their unbelief by failing to take seriously God's warnings, failing to take seriously God's truths and his challenges, that the rules are always for somebody else. I will be honest with you, I'm that kind of a person. Rules are always, I, I'm a rule breaker <laughs> in, in many ways, and I shouldn't say that. But I think we all are to a degree, right? Luke chapter 8, verse 13, let's talk about what Jesus says. He used this parable. The seeds and the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. 
But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. See, salvation is a free gift of God's grace. Absolutely a free gift of God's grace. There's nothing that you or I can do to earn it. Totally free. But yet, it requires much care and much maintenance to protect it and to grow it. And this is where the enemy thrives. He doesn't really care how many people get saved. What he cares about is how many people get discipled. Amen. Because the spiritual kindling, kindling, if you don't put wood on it relatively quickly, it'll burn out. And how many people have tried Christ? Doesn't work for me. And once they try it, they typically don't go back to it. Because somebody didn't disciple them. Somebody didn't come to them and say, Let me, do you know what you're getting into? Do you count the cost of what it means to be saved? Do you know that being saved means that you're going to have to do this, this, and this? And when you do that, you're going to get this, this, and this in return? No, many times they pray the, pray the sinner's prayer, have a great day, see you later. We're just putting that, we're setting that person up for failure because we're not doing the next thing, which is discipling them. Jesus says, go and make, all, make disciples in all the world. He didn't say save the world, make disciples, right? So the gift is free, yet it's going to require everything you have to maintain it. Let's just say it for what it is. Step number two, if the realities and desires of the world become a higher priority than the realities and desires of God's kingdom and purposes, then the believers will gradually cease to recognize and experience the relationship with Jesus. Luke 8, 14, the seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and so they never grow into maturity. Again, discipleship is required. It doesn't take long for our spiritual fervor to die out once we start making the cares of this life, good and bad cares of this life, to be more important than the things of God. And I don't think I need to spend a lot of time here because I think you know what I'm talking about. Step three, because the deceitfulness of sin is so powerful and subtle, believers can become increasingly more tolerant of sin in their own lives. Because the devil is so subtle, he doesn't normally come with a pitchfork. He comes with a fork and a spoon. And he wants to eat with you. And he wants to partake with you. And he wants to play with you. And he wants to just subtly come in and take down your defenses. Ephesians chapter 3, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 7. He says, but among you there must not be even a hint, listen to this, this is a hard one. There must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, Foolish talk or coarse joking. How, much, how often are we tempted to tell dirty jokes and laugh about them and just buy into the world system of, oh, that's just fun, it's just humor. But what is it doing to us? It's putting metal on a fire. It's putting water on the fire. You're not, it's not going to burn. You're putting out your fire. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of God, 
of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Do you see how subtle the enemy can be here? We're we're warned not even to let the little things take root in our lives. It's the little things that will grow up to be the big things. Puppies are cute, but they grow up to be dogs. (laughs) Kittens are cute, but they grow up to be cats. Maybe you like kittens and dogs. That's fine. (laughs) But little things grow up, and they become bigger problems if we don't take care of them. Is this easy to do? No, it's not. But let me just tell you that God's grace is sufficient. That's what God's grace is all about that he gives us the ability to say no to the things we need to say no to and yes to the things that we need to say yes to. And it's not in my own power and it's not in your own power to do it. It is the power of God's grace. Amen. Thank you, Jesus, for that. Step four, if we're not, cared, if we're not being careful, step four, after allowing their lives to become more and more about themselves and having a sense of self-justification, People's hearts continue to get hardened, resistant, and unresponsive to the voice of God. Do you know what the voice of God feels like? How many times have you sat in a service and the Holy Spirit's been convicting you to do something and you've said no? That's why I got saved every night when I was a kid, (laughs) every Sunday night. I, I understood, I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And here's the problem, guys. If I feel it, I know what it is. And I can say no to it. And I, could, I can remember thinking that if I can just get outside of those doors, then I won't have the conviction of the Holy Spirit anymore. And that's true. Because when I go outside the doors, it's like I get distracted and I'm not worried about it anymore. But that's a dangerous thing to do. That's playing with a fire that you don't want to play with. First Thessalonians chapter 5, 19 through 22, it says, Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies. But test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. That's how we prevent ourselves from allowing this to happen. See, God is always reaching out. God wants to guide you. He wants to lead you. He loves you. And he's doing everything he can to give us his path to follow. It's only when we stop listening that we're in danger. Finally, step five. Eventually, the Holy Spirit becomes grieved. His fire is put out, and the result is the Holy Spirit will eventually leave the person to his own evil desires. That's what apostasy looks like. But God is extremely patient with everyone. He's also sees, but he also sees the inner parts of a man's heart. He knows when you're reaching that point. He's patient. He, he owes no man anything. He doesn't want any man to perish, however. But he knows when people get to the point of a final rejection that he will no longer come back to. It's possible, just so you know. I'm not saying it's here, but it's possible that, the Lord, that you can grieve the Holy Spirit to the point that he will no longer call you. Romans chapter 1, verses 21 through 26. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. 
As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie, so they worshiped and served the things God, the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to, let, to their own shameful desires. Listen. History repeats itself every day. This is historical. This is what was happening in that day a few thousand years ago. But I'm telling you, the enemy still works the same way today. People fall away from God every day today. But it doesn't have to happen. We may not go to the point of actually making idols. I don't think any of us here have crafted an idol in your home and you go back and bow to it. I don't think you have. But I think we can let idols come into our life. Money, pleasure, time, sleep, boredom, laziness, you name it. My car, my job, everything can become an idol that can take God's place. And when I start letting little idols get in, they may be just little things right now, but boy, if I let them get in and creep in more and more, guess what, guys? They take a bigger place in your life and God takes a smaller place and he doesn't put up with that. God doesn't sit in the corner waiting for you and I to choose him like we're choosing a team on on the playground. (laughs) He's the first pick. (laughs) He's the best player on on the courtyard, in case you don't know it. Pick him. Jackie, would you come, please? I know this is a heavy message today, but it's not intended to bring condemnation. I want you to know that. This is not a condemning message. This is a warning message. This is a truth message. This is the reality of God's word. This is the way it is. But it doesn't have to be in your life if you choose not to. That's the beauty. You don't have to accept this. You can look at it and say, yes, that's true, but I want to be a Christian. I want to be a follower of Christ. And we have a hope and a promise that is greater than any temptation that the enemy would put in front of us. We need to encourage the writer, we need to encourage each other as the writer of Hebrews did. He said that, see to it, brothers, we read this already, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may harden, may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So we encourage each other to come alongside of each other. As long as it's called today means as long as you have breath in your lungs, we are to encourage each other to stay in the faith and to tend the fire. There is no one here, I don't believe, that is beyond the reach of God today. Whether you're in this room or watching online later, probably no one here has reached that point of apostasy. But if the Lord's speaking to you, don't say no. Say yes. The best defense from apostasy is the offense of submission. When I am fully submitted to Christ, I don't have to worry about apostasy. When I'm fully submitted 100% into him and I'm going to do what he's saying to do, whatever that is, I'm okay. I have, he sealed me with a mark and I am going to heaven because I am fully submitted to Christ. 
That's what we need to be. Second Peter chapter 3, as we get into next week and beyond study, not next week, but later studies, we're going to read this verse. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. Here it is. He does not want anyone to be be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. Freedom, folks. There's freedom in that. Where are you today? Where are you? Where's your campfire? Is your campfire burning bright? Do you need to throw the logs back on it? Has maybe a log fallen off and maybe burn it out a little bit over there and over in that spot and that spot in your life? I encourage you to tend your fire. Search me, oh God, and know my heart. Test me and see if there be any anxious way within me, the psalmist says, and lead me in the way of everlasting. That's what we do. Close your eyes with me if you would, please. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, as much as I appreciate your promises, And as much as I appreciate your encouragements of God's word, I appreciate your warnings because I need to heed them and I need to take them seriously in my life and I need to make sure my heart is constantly looking for you to guide me, to keep me from being deceived because Jesus said it, in the days that we're living in, it's going to be very easy to to allow deceiving words to come in and and take us away from the truth of God's word. And, And so I just pray, God, I just pray with all my heart that you would protect me as a pastor, protect me as a man, that I would just follow you with everything that I have. And I pray for these people in this church and everyone that's listening. God, I pray with that same passion, that same intensity, that you would just guard our hearts in Christ Jesus that we would not fall away, that we would be submitted totally, wholly submitted unto you, that we would just be looking for your soon return and that we would just be seeing that as our ultimate and eternal goal and that nothing in this world compares to that. So this morning, as you're here this morning, is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Do you sense the Holy Spirit just speaking a little bit of a nudge to you? If he does, I want you to give you an opportunity to respond and please don't say no. Nobody's going to embarrass you. This is not a bad thing. It's a real thing. If you're feeling the Holy Spirit say, tend your fire, just lift your hand with me. I see it. If you're, I thank you. Thank you for being honest. Listen, we all have to tend our fire. We all have to go back to the source. Make sure that we're sourced, that we're heated by the right source. Just let the Lord do what he's got to do. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Jackie, would you lead us in that song that you and Tom are playing? And uh, stand with me, if you will. And let's just use this as an opportunity to, to, to burn, to light the fire a little bit more in our hearts and lives this morning. Thank you, Jesus. No place I would rather be. No place I would rather be. No place I would rather be. Okay. 
thank you so much for this day today. Thank you, Lord, for your words today of encouragement and of warning and of promise. I just pray that you would just go with us today. Honor your word as we go into our week today. Let me just encourage you today that I don't know where you're at spiritually. I don't know where you're at but I encourage you to find someone this week and talk to them about your life. Talk to them about their life. Be intentional with someone to talk about spiritual things this week. Be discipled. Don't just let this come in one ear and out the other today, but take these messages seriously and allow the Lord to then continue to burn a fire in you that doesn't go out week to week that through this week that you will find someone. And if you need prayer, call me. I, I would love to pray with you. I would love to be with you. And so would Pastor Rip and, and others here. Find a friend that just, you're not going to be bothered. Believe me, you're not going to be a bother. And even if you're listening online today, come, be a part of us or call us. I just reach out. I'm so passionate about this. I just want you to know how much Jesus loves. So Father, just go with us today. Reach out to us today and just let, your, let, the, let the, po- the power of Jesus fall on us so that we can enjoy the fire, that we can enjoy the presence of God, that we can sit around our campfire and enjoy the presence of being with you today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed.